0: welcome back to the latest edition of the OmniTalk spotlight series where we discuss the technologies the companies and the people that we believe are shaping the evolution of retail today we are turning our spotlight on david silby the co-founder and ceo of happy returns happy returns is the company that makes returns beautiful for shoppers retailers partners and the planet and now, and we've followed David and Happy Returns. Gosh, I think it's now—I want to say four, five years. Yeah, maybe? it's been
1: a while. I mean, I remember the first time that we went to the Happy Returns table at it was at Santa Monica Place. And it was in Santa right?
0: Monica. So let's officially welcome yeah. David Sobe to the show. David, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, David, when was that? When did we meet? It was and it was it was at Santa Monica. What mall is that in Santa Monica?
2: Yeah. So Santa Monica Place Mall. And it would have been spring of 2016.
0: Spring of 2016.
2: 2016. Yeah. And at that point, that was our first return bar. And as you recall, it was something that we we leased space from the mall and we built a return bar, which looked a little bit like a kitchen island with some stools on one side and a, a returnista, which is what we called the folks that work there <laughs> That's on right. the other.
0: That's right. Okay.
2: Yeah. And that was really our prototype um, sort of proof of concept. To demonstrate, you know, could we start accepting returns from other retailers in a neutral retail location, like a shopping mall? Um, you know, would shoppers use the service? Would they enjoy it? Uh, would our technology work? So it was a lot of learning and a lot of fun. Actually, looking back on that time.
0: Yeah. So let's go back. Let's go even back before that. So. You know, tell us a little bit about who you are. How did you come to found the company and, you know, specifically what it is, what, what it does, what was the initial vision that you had, you know, going back even that, you know, sometime before that?
2: Yeah. So my, my whole career since business school, um, going on 15 years uh, since I got my MBA has all been in online retail. Um, so first, uh, with eBay, um, I moved down to LA, uh, started working at a flash sale retailer here called Hotlook. And if you remember the Hotlook story, Um, Hotlook ended up getting acquired by Nordstrom and one of the the programs that um, I worked on with my co-founder Mark Geller at Hotlook after the the Nordstrom acquisition was letting our shoppers buy online and return to Nordstrom rack stores and and the the idea for the project was really you know can we get some synergies between Hotlook, which was the the beginning of Nordstrom's online off-price division and Nordstrom Rack, which was their physical store discount division. Mm-hmm. And, and really, you know, to, to kind of tell you the, the true story, yeah. this was really important to Hotlook because we thought, gosh, what better way to align our brand with Nordstrom than to talk about returns? Um, because Nordstrom's built up, you know, 100 years of terrific brand equity um, around the idea of easy returns and, and a, a, you know, a terrific return policy. And so... We, you know, we thought, what a great way to align our brands. We thought, um, gosh, no other flash sale retailer can do this. Um, and so this will be a competitive differentiation. And then a really distant third was the idea that shoppers would actually use it. And the reason why I was a distant third was that the first thing Nordstrom did after they bought us was do an overlap analysis between our customer file mm. and the Nordstrom Rack customer file. And they found really low overlap. Um, and so we we pitched this idea to Nordstrom executives, and, and true story, um, they kind of threw up all over it. <laughs> Did they really? What and what year is this, David? What year is this? You said. So this is 2012, I guess, and then we we launched it in 2013.
0: And the reason I wanted to put a pin in that date specifically is because there's been and well, I'm sure we're going to get to this too, but there's been so many so much activity and so many stories in the media around this type of concept. But I want the audience to know that it's literally been around and in discussion since. I mean, that's almost 10 years ago now. Uh, if yeah, you yeah actually,
2: Mark and I just celebrated uh, 10 years of knowing each other. Uh, Mark, my co-founder, <laughs> so yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. so, um, so, so sorry, but I, th- I just think that's an important thing to put a pin in. But yeah, go back. So they threw up all over it. I, I can't wait to hear this story.
2: Well, you know, they said, look, store point of sale systems, you know, mm-hmm. these, these would be the store point of sale systems in the rack, are they're notoriously challenging to integrate with. Right. Um, I think they estimated the project would take two years to complete, um, you know, from a tech perspective. And they they said look we, we did we saw the same results that you did in the overlap analysis you know Hollook shoppers don't come to the rack um, and so I was leading marketing at Hollook mark was leading the mobile team and and right around that time Nordstrom was starting to put iPads in stores um, primarily as a mobile point of checkout mm-hmm. and, and Mark and team thought well gosh you know if they can do that for checkout why couldn't we build an app that connected to the back end of Hotlook that would let Nordstrom rack store associates just look up orders and process returns and completely bypass the store point of sale. And so that was, um, you know, that was really the solution that we went back to North and pitched and they said, okay, you know, we'll let we you try this. And um, you know, we were still pretty scrappy startup mentality, even though we had been acquired. And, and so when we launched the program, everyone threw five bucks in the pool, in the office, um, <laughs> you had to put a guess in the, and the guess was, you know, what percent of Hotlook's returns would find their way back to the rack, you know, six months after launch. And so if you remember, the overlap analysis was like 12%. The high guess in the pool was 30%. Well, fast forward six months, and the number was like 72%. And it just blew everyone away. Gosh. Yeah. And it it was really this, that was the light bulb moment, I think, for Mark and I, which was, you know, if you give online shoppers the choice, you know, print a label, box it up, drop it in the mail, you know, wait several weeks to get your money back, or, you know, in this instance, get in your car drive to a store that you may never have even been in before mm-hmm. um, and, and interact with a human being, you know, shoppers overwhelmingly prefer, you know, returning in person because it eliminates the hassle and weight of mail. Mm-hmm. And so, so it ended up being this just great case study where it was it was great for Holtlook shoppers and great for Look, but also was driving massive amounts of traffic into Nordstrom Rackstores.
0: So what was your lessons you learned then from that pitch process? Um, I have a feeling there are a few that uh, that I w- that I was taking from that, but in your mind, what what were some of those lessons you learned in, in making that pitch and and doing that first implementation?
2: Yeah, well, I think that you know the, the, the piece which appealed to Nordstrom, and I'd say you know my, my probably my biggest lesson of working there. Um, And and I have tremendous amount of respect for for that whole organization. Um, Mm -hmm. They really, they they have a wonderful lens of viewing the world, which is that if it's right for our customer and it's going to please the customer, it's the right thing for the company. Mm -hmm. And when you think about returns through that lens, you know, if you're really trying to make the best possible shopper experience, you would remove all the friction. You know, you would try to make it as easy as possible because you'd be thinking about sort of the long-term value of those shoppers. And, and it's one of those kind of paradoxes of returns. You know, we, we get this often where, you know, we, we describe happy returns and people are like, wait a minute, you want to make returns easy? Isn't that a bad thing? Yeah. And the answer is no. That's they a great thing.
0: They have those same arguments at Target. Yep. Yeah.
2: Exactly right. Keep going. Yeah. So I think, you know, that was really the 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 DNA of, of Nordstrom and why they built such a successful brand. And I think that really influenced how we think about happy returns. And, you know, the mission statement, which you quoted at the beginning, Again, you know, when I when I say that to to companies at meetings, people look at me with, you know, really odd look on their face. Like you want to make returns beautiful. You know, no one thinks about returns as being beautiful or happy. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when you when you kind of peel back and you think about the psychology of a shopper and you realize, you know, returns actually impact where people shop. You know, whether or not they're willing to buy something online or not. Um, you know, you look at the stats. Something like eighty plus percent of people review an online retailer's return policy before they check out. Mm-hmm. so has a huge impact on conversion and then it also um especially when you think about a bad return experience um has a big impact on retention because if people have a poor experience they're just not going to come back and shop with you again right. And right so it's it's this this underappreciated part of of e-commerce which is really impacts the whole life cycle of of who shops your site who checks out and who comes back to shop again
0: yeah it's an interaction point we yeah. yeah we talk about that too especially within this new economy that you know so much of the service aspects and angles of things are moving from that pre-purchase getting people to buy something to actually moving more post-purchase and that's exactly what kind of the return phenomenon is all about how did you then okay so you've got the you know kind of the case study the anecdote with nordstroms how do you then you and your co-founder say okay we're going to go now and and start this and we're going to put everything we can behind this what was that like
2: um well, you know, there were a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of gut check moments. Um, a lot of you know, is this crazy or is this? A but I think what we what we sort of felt was, boy, we have some insights into customer behavior that aren't being talked about a lot. Um, we know that returns are this massive traffic driver, so there's got to be some value there. And as we started talking to retailers and talking to investors about this, what we realized was that, boy, there really isn't you know, like name innovation in the history of returns, right? It's, it's really hard to do it. Um, you know, if you said name innovation and delivery, you'd come up with a long list of all the different things, you know, the money, the time, the energy that's um, been spent in trying to improve delivery. Um, but returns, you know, the only real innovation in the history of e-commerce returns is the, the pre-printed uh, shipping label. And so what we realized was, you know, not only is this, not only do we have some unique insights, um, and, and confidence that we can do this because we built a system that worked for Holt with Nordstrom Rack, but this is really kind of an untapped opportunity. And I think that's what, what you know, when we went to pitch, you know, for, for seed funding, um, you know, we basically said, hey, look, it's, it's pretty simple. We want to replicate this case study that we, we were the, you know, had a front row seat for. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is and a really simple pitch was we enable buy online, return to store for retailers without stores. And when you, when you were talking to investors about how is retail going to evolve in the future, um, everyone agreed, yeah, there are gonna be a lot more store, a lot more retailers that start online. You know, that today we call them the digitally native brands, you know, that, <laughs> that are they start online and their their whole MO from the beginning is to serve customers, you know, via the internet. There's gonna be a need for this. And and while there might not, you know, maybe it wasn't as acute a need, you know, five years ago, four and a half years ago when we were getting started, today. You know that's where all the growth in 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 commerce in general is coming is from this migration from physical to digital and all the digitally native brands that are there to serve.
0: Yeah, people don't always understand that too, right, David? Like, what percent of returns uh, or what percent of sales are actually returned via uh, for e-commerce right now?
2: Uh, It's it's well overall, I think the number is about fifteen percent. Okay.
0: For total retail.
2: For for total retail, yeah. But when you break it down into individual segments. Um, apparel and accessories, it's its not uncommon if you sell um, apparel or footwear online to have a return rate of 30 to 40%. Right. Which if you think about that for a minute, it's just that is remarkable, right? I mean, that means one in every three things that you're paying to pick, pack and ship out of your warehouse each day, is something you're going to touch again as a return. Mm-hmm. And, and every touch, as you know, generates cost and complexity and decisions in the organization. And, and so it's this Kind of I've heard it described as the Achilles heel of e-commerce and I think it's um I think it's an app description mm-hmm.
1: so David how does the how does the model work now what is um, what are you doing with happy returns and how how was the business model set up?
2: yeah so we we've expanded the surface area of our initial vision a bit um, so now yes we do returns in person but but what we realized was that there was a much sort of bigger um, a bigger picture on returns that that was going to require software to solve. And so okay. the way we describe the business today is that we sell return software and reverse logistics for e-commerce retailers. Hmm. And so what that practically means is what we're really trying to do is solve a set of problems that all retailers that sell online have. Um, and so the first one, um, you know if, if you spend any time talking to a, you know a retailer that sells online and returns is the topic, I guarantee within the first 5 minutes of the conversation you'll hear something like gosh if you could just make them go away <laughs> that would be amazing, <laughs> right you want to talk about happy returns like that would make me happy um, and that's usually the point in the conversation where i say well you know i don't have a magic wand i can't do that but what we can do is we can use software to try to turn as many returns into exchanges as possible and so that's sort of the the first layer of our offering now is what we call the online return and exchange service which is basically a white label version of the online return and exchange flow of a retailer's website,
1: David, so can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like how how are you um, influencing exchanges, and and what's that look like from a customer's perspective, too?
2: Yeah, so so we've all probably experienced um, a version of this where uh, if you have to do a return, a retailer will say, "Start online. Uh, tell me the item that you're returning." Um, the unique insight and unique feature set that we've developed is instead of just running the, the customer through a process to print a return label um, we, we, we sort of reimagined this process and said well what would it be like if you walked into a physical store
1: sure. right? if you walked
2: into a physical store and you said hey I, I want to return this the store associate would be trained to say well gosh I'm sorry it didn't work out why didn't it work out you know and they would they would try to solicit some information from you to figure out you know was this a size problem was it a color problem was it a style problem? How can I solve the problem and not let this customer walk out without something else? Right. And so our process follows that same flow. You know, the very first screen after you log in and, and select the items you're returning says, I'm sorry, it didn't work out. Um, why didn't it work? out?" And then taking cues from the return reason that the customer provides, we, we try to promote the idea of what we think the problem was and how to fix it. So for example, you said, "Hey, I'm returning this pair of jeans because they were too small." Um, our software is going to check the available inventory of that same style and see if the larger size is available, and that will be one of the options that we promote to the customer. Is you know, hey, we're sorry that the you know the 27 didn't work out. The 28 is available if you'd like it. Um, and and just by promoting that, and just by making it easy for customers to to make an exchange, um, we're seeing an increase in exchanges uh, for the retailers we work with. So then, so that's sort, of, that sort of step number one. Okay, what's step number two? So step number two is whether it's a return or an exchange. Um, customers still need to get the items back to the retailer. Mm-hmm. So that's where the in-person return bar network uh, kicks in. And so, just like in delivery, where shoppers want choice, you know, do I want this today or next day or same day, uh, or do I not care? And you know, I just want whatever the, the cheapest method is. Um, You know, we believe in giving customers choice in terms of how they return. And so at the end of that flow that I described where we're trying to promote an exchange, um, we give customers options. And so we promote, you know, three big, big channels. If the retailer has stores, we'll direct them there. If they don't, we'll direct them to the nearest Happy Returns location. So today we have 700 of these return bars around the country. Um, Or if they still uh, want to return via the mail, we allow them to print a label right. And so by giving customers choice, we think we're improving their satisfaction. Um, and, and, you know, if, if the retailer doesn't have a store and they come to happy returns, it's the same experience that you would have in a store. Meaning you don't need a label. You don't need a box. You don't need to prepare anything. You simply, you know, show up at one of our turn bars, interact with a human being, um, have it get an email receipt for your transaction and know that your refund or exchange has been initiated on the spot. And and when you compare that to the process of returning via mail, usually which usually starts with print a label, right? And, and no one has a printer anymore. Right. Um, get a box, you know. Wrestle with packing tape. Um, you know. We joke in the office the tape is a four letter word. Um, you know. And, and, and then then your reward for for completing that that arts and crafts project is to go stand in line at a carrier, right? Which is a miserable experience. Um. And and oftentimes you know. It, the post office, for example. I mean, the post office doesn't exactly have convenient hours if you're a person who works. Mm -hmm. Um, But your reward for navigating all that is to then go check your credit card statement for the next three weeks and hope that your refund shows up. I mean, it's just a a fundamentally broken process.
0: Yeah. And especially if you're living on a budget too. Yeah. so So that makes sense. I mean, I think, you know, as I play that back for the listeners, you've got the software side that you work with each individual retailer to help them you know, process these things online the most efficient way and in the way that best works as you were just describing in the flow of the user's life or in the customer's life. And then, the, you know, the options are simple. Return to store, you can return it, you know, via the mail or the return bar. So the return bar though piece and that, that aspect of it too gets really interesting. You said 700 locations. Now, what's important to point out there, right, is that you are taking returns not just for say that retailer, but multiple retailers uh, uh, across a range. How many yeah. retailers are you now uh, taking
2: product back for at these 700 locations? Uh, so we work with about 40 different retailers today. Okay. Um, and big, big names for us are companies like Revolve, uh, Everlane, Rothy's, um, Untuckit. Um, we work with Parachute Home. Um, we work with Outer Known, which is Kelly Slater's surf uh, mm-hmm. girl brand. Um, and the sort of common theme on the retailer side is that they're all digitally native and started right. online. Um, many of them are now um, starting to open their own either pop-ups or stores, um, and so you know they're they're seeing the value of the of having those physical outposts. Um, but even even on Tuckett, who has the most stores of any of the retailers we work with, they have about eighty. Um, you know, we have a, a far more dense network uh, of locations to really drop off returns and and make exchanges than even their eighty store network, and so. You know there, we're really augmenting what they're building from a physical footprint, um, and I just you know I think the days of of you know having Macy's having eight hundred doors, um, I just think those are over. You know I don't think that um, that that's the model. I think that you know having a, a store network makes sense in certain key markets. Mm-hmm. It's obviously great for brand awareness, um, but really you know we're we're part of this unbundling of the service element of retail, um, and so a, a shopper can choose. You know if I if I want to return i just use Everlane because they're a long-standing customer. and They have a store here in LA. Mm-hmm. If I want to 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 go have the Everlane branded experience, I can go to the store in a mm-hmm. But if I don't live near Venice, which is where their store is, mm-hmm. um, and I want to return this the item I bought from them, I'm just going to go to the nearest copy returns location.
0: Yeah, that's and the other have- interesting theme in this is that returns is a job that has to get done. It's a chore. It's very different than like shopping and discovering products. So to your point, like. Just because of those stores exist that's not necessarily the return location that people want to use or leverage that works within their life how do you, how do you decide where to put those locations and, and how does the model work too Are you building those all out yourselves do you license them to people to run them for you how does that all work
2: yeah great question so so you guys i 'll tell you the sort of evolution of return bars uh, from the, the point that we we first met so we, we started out owning and operating them um, and and while it was great from a learning and a, and a Quality control experience, what we realized is, gosh, this really doesn't scale, you know, because um, we can't, if we have five people working shifts in the return bar, um, if we want to have 100 return bars, that means we need 500 employees. And gosh, that just doesn't feel like it scales. And so the return bar at Santa Monica Place Mall was about 40 yards down from the mall concierge. And we realized, gosh, there's a desk that's set up to serve shoppers. Um, the mall concierge gives directions, validates parking. Um, they'll help you with where to eat, you know, what what movie times are, they sell gift cards and currency exchange, et cetera. So it's a, it's a already built-in function that serves shoppers in, in the physical environment of a mall. We thought, well, gosh, why can't the concierge offer this service as well? And so we went from owning and operating to sort of renting space in the mall concierge, um, which which was kind of a big breakthrough because obviously it's a lot cheaper to do that than it is to know, sign a, a lease and hire employees and deal with scheduling, et cetera. <clears throat> so we went from owning and operating to mall concierge to um, physical retail locations. We started off with sort of mom and pop stores here in LA and then migrated into some national chain stores like Paper Source, uh, Cost Plus World Market, uh, Bed Bath and & Beyond. And, and, and the model has sort of evolved in, and we've, we've gone from sort of paying for space to renting concierge. So now we drive so much foot traffic into these locations that they're willing to offer our, our service for free. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, Paper Source gets a tremendous amount of foot traffic from Happy Returns customers. And they love the idea of a Rothy shopper or an Everlane shopper, or, or a Revolve shopper walking the door to do a return, because chances are some percentage of those folks are gonna say, you know, j- just like the Hotlook shopper in the Nordstrom Rack, they, they're gonna discover a location um, that they might not have known about before, and, a, and a, a reasonable percentage of them are going to say, "Well, as long as I'm here and it's it paper source, you know, I do have that birthday party coming up next weekend or that anniversary card that I need to, to get." And they might they might end up buying something. And so it ends up being a pretty fair exchange of value to say, "You know, please operate our service, happier returns, um, in exchange for the foot traffic that we're driving into those locations."
1: Yeah, I love this, David. I think what what else this does is, you know, it gives the Revolves and the Rothy's essentially store locations in malls around the country all these malls that you're working with now you know i i can have that experience in my home how i you know try especially when you're talking about apparel and footwear and then you know i'm going into a mall or into these other places that are already on my list of to-dos for the weekend Um, and I can return it as I would in, if they had a physical store and that scales across the entire country, it gives people in in the middle of the country, the opportunity to really have an experience or have the confidence to purchase from some of these direct to consumer brands that, you know, if it's going to ultimately end up being another to do on my list, I I might not do it. I might not try those shoes out. um, like I, like you're enabling, um, for these brands,
2: Exactly. It's no, and that's opportunity yeah, cost, yeah, right? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, you right. know, and in in an environment where customer acquisition cost is getting significantly more expensive, um, you know, this is, is you could you could describe this just as a pure retention play, right? It's like mm-hmm. making this easy is going to allow me to retain more customers. Making it delightful. To your point, um, and and we hear this a lot. We hear this from um, you know Everland to, to use a case study. Uh, if you follow that brand, they've been aggressively expanding their assortment over the last couple of years. So they introduced denim last year, and they've introduced um, underwear, and this year they've expanded their shoes. And you know, every time you do that, you're asking your customer to take a risk with you, right? Hey, I've never bought—I've never bought denim from Everlane before. I have no idea how it fits me. And so, what do people do? Well, you know, we're all trained to shop differently online, so we might buy multiple sizes or multiple colors um, with the expectation that I'm going to try these on at home and and you know return the ones that don't fit best. But to your point, I'm less likely to do that if the return process is going to be a pain. Mm-hmm. And and what we hear from Everlane shoppers and what, what you know makes us feel great about you know setting the brand promise of calling the company happy returns is they say things like, wow, that was so easy. I'm more apt to try things with Everlane right. because right. because I know you know I can shop with confidence that if it doesn't work out, it's not going to ruin my Saturday to have to be printing labels and boxing and scanning in line. You know it's going to be easy if if this doesn't work. Exactly. And,
0: yeah, exactly. And one of the things we always touch on at Omnitalk is is the reasons people go to a store historically, and you know what. If, and one of the things we always talk about is is this idea of touch and the ability to touch and feel product. And the reason you do that is what you just said to get confidence in the purchase. And you know, prior to digital and prior to the mobile phone, the only way to do that was to go to a store. But with a program with like what you're describing, there's now ways to do that. Or even though the cost of the return might still be you know, expensive when you're looking at it in today's terms, that pales in comparison to the cost of trying to run a store, staff a store, inventory. Yeah. And for some brands, that might not even be a requirement anymore if you can create this type of network effect with this type of service for them that they can trust day in and day out. I think it's it's just a really brilliant point that you hit on that I wanted to... Kind of zero in on because it's so much of what we talk about. There's a lot to be said about this too. Now, you know, happening especially on the traffic side angle. David, talk to us a little bit. I mean, I think some of the comparisons are obvious. But Am Coles, for example, is doing a program with Amazon Returns. What do you think of that? I think number one, what are your thoughts on it? And then two, what is similar to what you guys do, and what is different to what you guys do in relation to that program? Yeah.
2: Well, so I'm going to tell you a little story about that program. Um, Sweet. <laughs> I can't
0: wait. Awesome.
2: Um, no, it's a, it's a good story. So so the there's a, a, a gentleman that um, we worked with at Nordstrom. He was on the strategy team at Nordstrom, who's now the head of business development and strategy at Colts. And he had the same ringside seat that we did for Haute Look to Nordstrom Rack. And I remember talking to him when we were starting the company and describing what Happier Turns was doing. Um, he... Recognized the challenge and the opportunity of returns as well, and at that time was really you know starting to think about how, what are, what would be the impactful things that he could do as the head of strategy at Kohl's. So I like to believe that you know happier returns and, and Amazon Kohl's are sort of um, you know born from the same mothership. Right. <laughs> um, uh, but you know we we launched um, in spring of 2016, and I believe that the Amazon Kohl's partnership was announced in the fall of 2018. So about 18 mm-hmm. months after we were. Um, up and running. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when it happened, it was, I remember it was one of those moments, um, you know, there've been a couple in the history of happy returns where, you know, Mark and I looked at the headlines and said, gosh, this is amazing, (laughs) right? This is a huge validation for the approach that we're taking because, you know, for the first couple of years of the business, we were like, oh yeah, return, let us handle your returns at a third party network that you don't control and we're going to make it easy for your customers. And we had a lot of people looking at us like, you guys just don't get retail at all. Um, but now here's Amazon, who everyone respects and who is really sets the bar for service, basically saying to the world, Hey, we're comfortable driving our shoppers into a company that might sell similar things because we understand how painful this is. Mm-hmm. and and, you know, if you go look at everything Bezos says, it's all about customer experience. And you know, he says, it doesn't matter if I'm selling books or electronics or or apparel it's all about does the customer believe in the experience and that that was a huge vote of confidence for our model because you know i could say hey don't don't believe me but but believe the guys in seattle because clearly they're doing something <laughs> um, and so you know the their their experience has gotten significantly better over time um, you know if you look at at what what op, what amazon gives you today it's sort of similar to what i was describing it's all about options it's all about giving the customer choice Right, and so so Kohl's is one node in their network. Um, they recently started accepting returns at Whole Foods as well. Um, mm-hmm. Another huge node in their network. Um, they have lockers, uh, which is you know almost a self service opportunity. You know don't you don't have to interact with a human being. And obviously they're trying to populate those. Um, but what Amazon has realized, which is also sort of core to happy returns, is that the key is that first mile, right? And if you can get the customer to essentially pay for the first mile by getting them to bring the product to you that's where the value really gets unlocked mm-hmm. um, because once you have the product um, and, and then the sort of the fundamental principle that, that we operate under from a cost perspective is, you know, we aggregate items before we ship. And so rather than, you know, 20 returns, think about, you know, 21 pound boxes going through the mail
0: Right, you you know, in our that. model.
2: And then what Amazon is doing with Kohl's and Whole Foods and others is customers bring the items to you. Well, great. Now I can send one 20 pound box rather than letting the customer send 21 pound boxes and get massive economies of scale in terms of shipping. The
0: the thing I've never understood the coal thing too is, and especially relative to what you guys do and how you described it, is like okay, it's Amazon, I get it, and there's a lot of traffic from Amazon. But isn't the smarter play strategic? I have a feeling you're gonna say yes, but <laughs> but I'm gonna ask it anyway, just so the, the audience can hear it. Isn't the smarter play to be able to do this across a wider retail network? You know, so that customers can interact with your physical point across with and return product for a variety of retailers? Like, doesn't that just give you more access to more people day in and day out who may need to get those types of
2: tasks done? Uh, well, we believe, we believe yes, um, <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, they're significantly bigger than we are. And you know, yeah. they, to some degree with their marketplace, they represent um, a lot of, a lot of different retailers as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that our, our point of view is that um, and, and, and it might be helpful to just explain a little bit about how our model works operationally. Yeah, that'd so, be great. <clears throat> so at a return bar, you know, because we're working with 40 different brands, you know, we might take in, you know, we might take in 50 items today from 25 different retailers, all at the same return bar. From there, we're going to, um, you know, interact with the customers and return the products right there. Um, but from there we aggregate items across the brands. And so we ship a single co-mingled shipment from that return bar, so everyone's everyone's items from all the different brands in the same box, get shipped to one of our processing hubs. Mm -hmm. And so every retailer gets the benefit of their items traveling together. Um, And and from a shipping perspective, what that translates to is a much lower cost per unit in shipping than if those were all traveling on their own. And then at our return hub, we are opening that that co-mingled shipment uh sorting by retailer. So all the Everlane items go in one pile, all the revolve dresses in another, all the untucket shirts uh, over here, all the Rothie shoes. Um, and then we do whatever secondary processing the retailer wants to get those items ready to be resold again. Mm-hmm. We then re-aggregate, which is kind of a funny term, re-aggregate, but now we're taking all of the Everlane items across all of the West Coast return bars, um, packaging them up and shipping in bulk, again, taking advantage of aggregation to drive down the cost of shipping. <clears throat> and shipping in bulk back to Everlane's fulfillment side. Mm-hmm. and so by by aggregating twice, you know across brands from bar to hub, and then across return bars from hub back to retailer, um, we're able to just get significant, you know, step change uh, cost uh, savings that the retailers just couldn't get on their own with individual shipments coming back through the mail, and and so that same that principle that governs kind of how we operate is exactly what Amazon is trying to figure out by building this massive you know, network with different nodes. Mm-hmm. It's about giving customers choice and about um, you know, the flexibility and, and the, the cost savings opportunities when you can have that first mile for free.
0: Well, and the environmental aspects too. I mean, I, as you're talking, like I'm thinking of, oh my gosh, not only does it just make sense for the reason I said before, but there's all kinds of offshoots here in terms of the, the reuse market and whatnot and being able to have a platform at a consolidated center to house that inventory and have people kind of sharing the cost of that to make the product more available for reuse after it's been returned. Like there's yes. so many offshoots
2: of this that just... Yeah. I know it kind of makes your head spin a bit. It, oh. it does.
1: Yeah. And I I, I I think we're both like I'm like jotting notes down on paper.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I feel bad because I like I'm supposed to be
0: asking questions, I'm making statements, but like sometimes some of this just makes so much sense to me. And that it's been and, and like we've said, we've been following you guys for so long, that it's great to sit down. It's like there's still so many beneficial offshoots of this that can be explored and this seems like the right smart way to try to start exploring these things.
1: Yeah, I think that feels like a really good segue Chris into asking you this next question David and you know as you think about how you as a how you solve for that first mile getting the person into the store to kind of take the burden off the retailer for that first part of the return but then also at the same time trying to improve and optimize the happy return for the for your customers. Where are we going with the future of returns? What does the perfect return look like um, for you guys, David? As you're thinking about 2020 and beyond?
2: Yeah. Well, so uh, I'm gonna answer that sort of specifically, and then I'll, I'll maybe try to hover up and answer more broadly. But one big area that we're focused on right now is sustainability, mm-hmm. and and n- n- in a slightly different take than what you were describing. But you know, when we're shipping from the return bars to our hub. Um, that's a repeat shipment right and those are happening daily and we started looking at the mountain of cardboard that we were creating right and, and literally um i remember going to one of our return hubs one time and pulling up in front of it and there was just a dumpster out front with this mountain of cardboard and and i started to feel horrible <laughs> i started right. to feel like oh my gosh this is all going straight to a landfill right because china's no longer buying our our trash and and we we were we started talking about it as a group and we thought well gosh we can replace all that cardboard with reusable totes, right? And, and we can actually, and, and wouldn't that be great? And then, and then we thought, well, gosh, we can also replace the second leg of shipment, you know, from the return bar to the retail, I'm sorry, from the return hub to the retailer, if we can get the retailers to buy into this idea of reusable, chip, you know, reusable totes as well. And, and as we started to, to, to surface this idea, um, what we realized was that there are a lot of, there are a lot of retailers, you know, and, and again, this is sort of the digitally native um, crowd, where, where sustainability is a really important part of how they operate, and so when we brought this to Rothy's, um, and I don't know how well you know that brand, but you know Rothy's are made out of recycled water bottles, and and we said, hey, you know, could we start shipping to you in reusable totes and start removing cardboard from the equation? They loved the idea. They said, gosh, this is a no-brainer, right? Why would we not want to have a green supply chain? The same way we want to have, you know, a green story around the products and the materials that we choose.
1: Yeah, it's um, a great story um, for them. Brought this to
2: Everlane who, you know, has been very public um, about, about discussing yeah, how they want to, to change their model. And, you know, um, they loved the idea. And so, mm-hmm. so you know, the, the sustainability is, is something that I think we're really focused on. Um, you know, we, we started out doing it for the right reasons. And I, and I feel like it's really resonating with the retailers we work with. And, you know, we, we issued a press release in August that said, hey, we just completed the first cardboard free return. And mm-hmm. so to kind of hover up to your question about, you know, what, what does the future of returns look like? I think it's giving customers choice. I think it's you know label free, box free, um, you know shipping in reasonable totes. Hopefully, moving product short distance to an aggregation point, and and really you know because everything that we do is open box, and and this is where you know your head starts to spin. um, You know, think about the fact that that inventory maybe shouldn't move anymore, right? No, I mean if if we have we have you know if we have a sweater. In one of our hubs um and the retailers fulfillment center is all the way across the country like maybe we're better off waiting until someone else over on this side of the country buys that sweater and just drop sh- shipping it back to them right you now if, if we at our hub can ensure that it's you know like new or we can refurbish it or get it ready to be resold like maybe that second leg of shipping back to the retailer doesn't make sense anymore mm-hmm. and 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 that i think is where um it gets really really exciting is if you start to think about um you know multi-node network where You know, inventory might start in a central warehouse somewhere in the middle of the country, but as people buy and return, it starts getting aggregated into regional nodes that can serve as fulfillment as as well. Boy, that really starts to get exciting because now you're talking about just less shipping altogether. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe Um, design more optimized distribution. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah. We might have to talk about that one later too. That's pretty (laughs) cool. Um, Well, Hey man, that, that was a great way to close this. Uh, It's always great to close, especially on kind of the vision of the future from all all the entrepreneurs we talked to, but we can't let you go of course, without doing one of our favorite segments, which is how millennial are you? (laughs) Oh, I suspect
2: not very, but okay.
1: Hey, I don't know, David, I think you might do all right. All right. We'll burn through these real quick. So uh, number one, David. When the option is available, do you pull out cash to pay at checkout, or are you using or credit card, or are you using mobile payment, Apple Pay, something of the sort?
2: Uh, I use the credit card.
1: Credit card. Credit card. Okay. Why?
2: Um, I don't. There's something about the transaction process <laughs> that feels like a, it's almost like I have to know that I'm spending money as opposed to. <laughs> It's so funny.
1: The, the, the Bing doesn't confirm for you that you purchased something. The guy who's
2: developing mobile apps for
0: returns as a hack is uh, still taking out his credit card. I love it.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, David, how many times in the last week have you ordered food or coffee or drinks uh, through an app in the last week?
2: Oh boy. Guilty. Um, probably six.
0: Yeah, what's the guilty pleasure?
2: Uh, well, Postmates just makes it so darn easy. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's and the, the selection there is so great. It's really hard to argue with it. I like Uber eats a lot too. I'm, okay. I'm pretty, pretty loyal to Uber. Um, and they keep putting money in my, you know, I keep getting Uber rewards. So it ends up being a free lunch if there is such a thing. Yeah. Right. But, um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm pretty guilty on that one.
1: That's amazing. Okay. Last question. If you could only use one social app for the rest of your life, what would it be and why?
2: (laughs) I've got to go with Instagram. Um, and I, it's just a, it's like such a guilty pleasure. It's it's so voyeuristic. Um, I'm, I'm more of a, I consume it, but I don't really, um, I'm not, I'm not a big poster there. Okay. It's just, it's like, um, Especially if like I like I I aspire to surf and um there's just so much good surfing content or um I am a skier, there's so much great skiing content. Um there's just I mean it's it's like, you know, uh aspirational life um app that just taps into something that is really satisfying. So that's hilarious in and of itself because you just said you aspire
0: to surf, and to do that, you surf Instagram. So that's that's, that's pretty amazing. You did, yeah, you you, did, you did better than You did better than you said you would. I know, I know, you're a little, you had some trepidation going into this one even before we started, but yeah, you did great. I mean, get on that Apple Pay bandwagon, and and then I think you, yeah. you're, you're hitting it out of the park. But uh, but hey, man, that was awesome. Uh, really interesting conversation. I think as the listeners can tell, we've been a fan of this concept in general for a long time. If people want to learn more, you know, where can they go? How should they get in contact with you?
2: Yeah, so um, happyreturns.com is, is our, our website and probably the best um, way to learn about the business. Um, and so that would be my suggestion. Awesome, awesome. Well, if you're listening, check it out. A very cool
0: concept, just at least to learn more about it. I want to thank our guest again today. We've had David Soby, the CEO and co-founder of of happy returns the man who led us all or helped us all realize today the tape is a four-letter word (laughs) thanks to him for being on the show and to all of you be careful out there